Okay, so we're wrapping up week number four of a four-part series where we've been talking about things that as followers of Jesus, we've gotten a little bit backwards. And as a result of that, ouch, it hurts when we get things backwards. We talked about several things this morning and or this month. And this morning, you're going to hear Harley and I use this phrase several times, erasing the scoreboard. Erasing the scoreboard. Now, when you hear us say erasing the scoreboard, we want you to kind of think along the lines of forgiveness as an area that we struggle with as followers of Jesus. And sometimes we get a little bit backwards. I know for the last three or four years, I've had the opportunity to do the radio basketball broadcast for the Rice Birds and the Lady Rice Birds. That's several years. Enjoyed doing it. It's a lot of fun. But one thing that I've noticed um, is as soon as the game is over, I'm talking about as soon as the final horn sounds, it doesn't matter who's playing, what the score was, who won, who lost, who the opponent was, nothing matters. As soon as the final horn sounds at a Stuttgart Rice Bird or Lady Rice Bird basketball game, they erase the scoreboard. It's off immediately. I'm talking, if I do not write down what the final score was before the game's over, I miss it every time. Whoever is running it, they must have their finger on the button because they erase the scoreboard immediately. As soon as the game's over, it's basically on to the next. You know, who no matter who wins, who loses, what the score is, they're just ready to move on to the next game. And um, unfortunately, and Harley's going to talk about this here for just a second, that often is not the case for us. It's certainly not the case for me. In fact, I would say that very often I'm the exact opposite when it comes to erasing the scoreboard. I actually feel like, Harley, I carry a scoreboard around with me or a scorebook around with me everywhere I go, and I never erase it. Yeah, so kind of have, have you felt the same way? I know I have. The feeling that, well, uh, we've got this scoreboard that it's always there, and it's the scoreboard of my life, your life, Cole's life, and it never goes away. It follows me around. It follows you around. So in other words, it never lets you forget about what has happened or what you did or what you experienced. It's always there bringing the past into your present. It always finds a way to pop up in your life. It just didn't go away. Maybe that scoreboard that follows you around, maybe it has to do with your family. Maybe there was some kind of anger issue that you experienced as you were raising your family, and maybe that from your past continues to pop up in your present. That scoreboard is always there. Someone doesn't let you forget, or it just it's there in your mind. Maybe at work you have a failed project or maybe maybe part of your job description at work you just simply failed at and you blew it and your work doesn't let you forget and that scoreboard is always there. Or maybe the scoreboard that follows you around, maybe it's just this hometown or your hometown. And maybe you had uh, an addiction problem in the past. And maybe everybody knows about it, or you feel like everybody knows about it, and that scoreboard maybe you feel like follows you around everywhere you go. Now, this one's a big one for me, Cole. Maybe your scoreboard is self-imposed. Maybe you will never and have never erased 
your scoreboard that you've been holding against yourself. And you might say, well, Harley, I, I, you, you don't know really what I've done. You might say, I have made so many mistakes. Maybe you faced a, a big money problem, and maybe, maybe perhaps you went through a bankruptcy, and you have that that you're holding against yourself, and, and you are holding the scoreboard. You are not letting yourself forget. Maybe that's the case for you. Maybe you failed in a family relationship some kind of failed relationship with a, a spouse or maybe a family member. And maybe now, because of that, you seem, without meaning to, you push those people away from you because you have this scoreboard in the back of your mind. Maybe in your life, you're sitting there and you're thinking, this is not what I imagined my life would turn out like. I have missed my dream. What I wanted to accomplish, what I wanted to happen in relationships, at work, it hasn't happened. Maybe you feel like life has been a big failure. Maybe it's been a failure with school. Maybe you, you, uh, maybe you started some kind of schooling and because of life's pressures or because of stress or because of uh, anxiety or fear, maybe you dropped out of that and now today maybe you hold that against yourself as a score. There's all kinds of things that we impose upon ourselves as a score. You say, listen, Harley, my scoreboard is a blowout. I'm not even close. I have been defeated. I have lost. I am the loser in this. And maybe you think, Harley, I can't even tell you many of the things that are on that scoreboard because they're too private, they're too personal, and it's too big of a loss. I can't allow anyone to know. And I have to say... I get it. I do. There are things about me that I haven't told you. And it's because of that scoreboard that I carry around for me. I believe that there are lots of folks who are, as we're talking about this, agreeing for themselves, just like you might be saying, yeah, I've got some of that. I've got some of those scores and they're never going away. We've got some friends right now and family watching online. And as I'm saying this, you are possibly thinking the same thing that somebody was thinking in here. You're not alone. We have a lot of scoreboards in this room. And a lot of us have some things that we've held on to. We're talking about areas of life that we have, we've gotten backwards Areas of life that we just have flipped upside down. And this is a big one. This is one for me. Hey, listen, I am right in here with you today. Never erasing the scoreboard has some pretty significant consequences to us personally and consequences to people who are close to us in our lives. It hurts us, it hurts them, and because we get this backwards, we can say that is a big ouch for many of us. 
And those consequences, Cole, I, I know for me, they hurt for a very, very long time. Yeah, and not only that, so that would be one example of ref refusing to erase the scoreboard. It's kind of where you feel like you have that scoreboard that follows you around everywhere you go, and it's kind of like blinking over your head. But maybe, maybe something else is true for you, because whereas Harley, I think that fits you better, mm -hmm. I think what we're about to talk about now maybe fits me a little okay. bit better. Uh, maybe you refuse to erase the scoreboard for other people. So maybe, you know, you walk around with the scorebook keeping tabs and remembering and never forgetting what happened as it related to you, how you treated me. I can do that. I can struggle with that. I, I keep up with times where things didn't quite go as planned or when someone did me wrong. I have a tendency to keep up with those things where it didn't follow the script the way I expected it to. I say things like, you know what, I can never forget or never forgive what that person did to me. Or we use phrasing like, hey, hey fool me once, <laughs> fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice. That's on me. Shame on me. We find ourselves always keeping score when it comes to you as it relates to me. And I keep score. I write down the results in a book, and I close the book, and I put it in my pocket, and it goes everywhere with me. And I never forget. No matter what I've been given, and as a follower of Jesus, I've been given a lot. We're going to talk about that here in just a few minutes. No matter what I've been given... No matter how many different ways I've been blessed, my scoreboard stays lit all the time. Now, as Harley said, this series is focused on areas of our life where we've gotten it backwards. And ouch, it hurts because we get it backwards. And for many of us, myself included, we've gotten this backwards. We've gotten this very backwards, this concept. Remember, when we say erase the scoreboard, you can almost insert the word forgiveness. We've gotten that backwards. Now, we're going to jump into a historical, uh, biblical narrative this morning uh, about a historic family, a, a family that actually lived. They, they lived a couple of thousand years ago. And they, like me, got this idea of forgiveness, this keeping score. They got it backwards, too. They got it very backwards. And then we're going to actually contrast that family and their reaction with someone who didn't get it backwards and someone who actually got it quite right. Me? No. No. No, not at all. This historical, maybe later, 2,000 no, years ago, you as an example. Right. Now, for a period of uh, several hundred years before the birth of Jesus, Israel, the area we know of Israel, Palestine, it was governed by a wide range of leaders. Just a lot of different individuals kind of had control and ran the show and, and different, you know, just a, a lot was going on there for that period of about three or 400 years. And I'll save you the time, let you know, you don't have to research that. They didn't really matter that much, not only from a historical perspective, they didn't really matter that much, but also from a biblical perspective. There really wasn't a lot going on as far as the Bible. It was just, there's not a lot of history that we remember from that time period. But in the year 37 BC, an individual, a family in fact, but a person will step onto the pages of history that plays a very significant role for the rest of not only history, but also from a biblical perspective, will step onto the pages of history. His name was Herod. You would know him more specifically as Herod the Great, because there's a lot of Herods, and we're going to talk about several of them. But his name was Herod the Great. Now, Herod the Great, 
Very, very interesting individual. We just don't have time to unpack everything about Herod the Great. In fact, I will let you know about this. If you would like to, kind of a little aside reading this week, look into how Herod the Great died. Very interesting how he died. But his name was Herod the Great. Very interesting guy. But one area in his life that is extremely relevant for us this morning is this fact. Like me, just like I am, Herod the Great never erased the scoreboard. Yeah. You know, Herod was actually given the throne of Israel uh, largely because his father and Herod himself supported Rome during a very important conflict. But even more than that, um, Herod was given the throne because he had a couple of very specific relationships. One of those was with uh, his friend Mark Antony. And then it became critical, a friendship that was developed with... Quickly. Uh, very quickly <laughs> with Octavian, who was at that time, he was Caesar Augustus. Because of those relationships, he was basically given the throne. Now, he was, for all practical purposes, king of the Jews. That's Herod the Great. And Herod the Great was a notorious scorekeeper. He never erased the scoreboard. I mean, if you had a misstep and he heard of it, you suddenly were on the scoreboard. He never erased it. If he perceived anything that you did or said as possibly something wrong against him, you were on the scoreboard. He never forgot a mistake. He never missed an opportunity to get even with you. Man, there's many, many examples. We're just going to give you a couple of here. In 29 BC, Herod the Great had his wife, his favorite wife, he, whom he loved greatly, he had her executed. That's, that's loving him greatly. Yeah, there. that's, that's yeah. great love. That's great. great. His favorite wife, executed. He thought she had an affair. Herod the, the Great refused to forget something that you did against him or he thought you did against him. Even if it was going to cost him in the future, he wanted to get even right then. And historians tell us that he regretted this decision for the rest of his life. But he had already made the decision to get even, to keep that scoreboard. Okay, so um, he had many sons. Herod the Great had three of his sons executed because he thought that they were trying to have him killed. One of those sons, the oldest, was his, again, favorite son. And right before, not long before Herod himself died, that's when he had this son executed. I mean, to the very end, Herod the Great kept score and never erased the scoreboard. The other two sons uh, that he had killed, well, um, he had them drowned in the family pool. Thanks, Dad, for the new pool. It really upped our property value there. He had them drowned right in that pool. Herod the Great, 
if if anyone <laughs> offended him, I, I mean, at the very least, he, he might just take all their property or take some of their property just to pay him back. He, he believed that if anything went against him and his rule, he had to settle the score. Forgiveness, erasing the scoreboard, that was not even an option in his mind for Herod the Great. It's like, if you cross me, I'm going to hurt you somehow. The scoreboard was never erased. He never forgot a wrong. In Herod the Great's world, he always had some kind of score that he was trying to settle. So we already said it. Herod the Great was given the throne. But in return, he only gave what he believed other people around him deserved. Yeah, so those are some stories from Herod the Great's life that maybe you've heard, maybe you haven't. Uh, but one in particular that you probably have some familiarity with, we find in Matthew's biography of Jesus, the, the Gospel of Matthew, in the second chapter. We just wrapped up Christmas time, right? So this is probably a well-known thing. I'm going to just kind of um, give a, a quick summary of the first 12 verses of Matthew chapter 2. Long story short, we've heard of the three wise men, right? Everybody's heard of the three wise men. Probably more accurate to call them magi. The three wise men, the, the, the magi, and probably were more than three. Yeah. Uh, but these magi, they were students and scholars of history, philosophy, civilizations, religions, you name it. And they, long story short, end up in the area of Israel looking for a Messiah. Herod hears about it. And he's like, hold on, wait a second. I'm the king of the Jews. This that they're talking about, this is a problem. And Herod's going to settle the score. So he brings them in. He says, hey, when you find him, by the way, Bethlehem, that's where you need to go. He, he says, when you find him, I want you to let me know. Because I want to worship him. So the Magi went on their way, probably none the wiser. But at some point, they got information to let them know. From, from God told them, said, hey, you don't need to go back to Herod. Herod wants to kill Jesus, this Messiah. And so we jump into Matthew chapter 2, verse 13, and we find out that not only were the Magi told that Herod wants to kill Jesus, but actually Joseph was told, the earthly father of Jesus was told, hey, you need to get out of Dodge because Herod the Great has heard that there is a threat to his, his kingdom. He's, he's getting ready to lash out pretty significantly. Matthew chapter 2, verse 13, after the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. He said, get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother. Stay there until I tell you to return because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. And then we find out a couple of verses later in verse 16, we find out that when Herod discovers that the Magi have not come back to him like was a part of his plan, we find out that Herod is, according to Matthew, furious. Herod was furious, according to Matthew, when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. And this was Herod's response. Remember, settle the score. Don't erase the scoreboard. Settle the score. So Herod sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. We, we could give you 
countless examples of, of countless examples of Herod's desire to settle the score. When Herod perceived that there was a threat, he lashed out to anyone who was going to harm him. Scoreboard remained lit. Now Herod the Great died a hated man. And he knew it. That's the interesting thing. Herod knew that he died. I'm going to give you one more quick Herod the Great story. When Herod was about to die, he will arrest some very prominent men uh, in the area of Judea. He arrests them and he imprisons them in what was called the Hippodrome. The Hippodrome really for us would be like a stadium or an arena. It was somewhere where there were horse races, chariot races, things like that. And he imprisoned these men. And he said to his sister, he said, when I die, I want you to kill them. Execute them. Kill everyone that I've arrested, which by the way, there was, it's best we can tell, no reason that they were arrested other than according to the Jewish historian Josephus. He tells us this is why Herod had those men arrested. This is actually a quote from Herod. It says, Herod speaking, I know the Jews will greet my death with wild rejoicings. Remember, he knew he was hated. But he says, I can be mourned on other people's account. And make sure of a magnificent funeral if you will do what I tell you to do. This is Herod speaking to his sister. These men under guard, as soon as I die, kill them all. Why? Because Herod knew he was hated and he wanted to have a magnificent funeral and to be mourned. He said, that's not going to happen. But I can have it by proxy if we kill these guys over here. Herod kept score, guys. Herod never erased the scoreboard. He remembered everything. And this is interesting because Herod's unwillingness to erase the scoreboard, it will follow his family, his family tree, Harley, for the next three generations. So let's skip to now that next generation. So years after Herod the Great dies, and now we're all the way forward in history to the point where Jesus is... uh, the, the, the things happening around him being crucified. Uh, part of that was Jesus was taken to uh, the person who was a governor in Jerusalem in that region, it's that territory. And this was Pilate. Maybe you remember this from the crucifixion uh, history. And when Pilate realizes that Jesus was a Galilean, he takes the opportunity to send Jesus to another ruler, which is the son, one of the surviving sons of Herod the Great. Now, this son is also named Herod. It's Herod uh, Antipas is what I believe his name is. And now he is ruling the Galilean region. And so Pilate's like, yeah, get him out of here. I don't want to have to make this decision Things are it could turn Passover into an uproar. So here's what here's how that plays out. Um, Luke in his research and his history and biography of Jesus. This is what he writes in Luke chapter 23 verse six. Pilate says, "Oh, he's Galilean." So Pilate sees the opportunity to send him somewhere else. So verse seven. When they said that he was, Pilate sent him, Jesus, to Herod, Herod Antipas, because Galilee was under Herod's jurisdiction. That's what Luke writes. And Herod happened to be in Jerusalem at the time. Now, all of the 
uh, who's who and the leaders and the governor's governors, whoever's important, they were all in Jerusalem at that time because this was the Passover and uh, they were there for political reasons. They were there for actually even security reasons. They're all there. So verse 8, Herod was delighted at the opportunity to see Jesus. Now here's why. Here's why he's delighted. Because he had heard about him, Jesus, and had been hoping, oh, I hope so, hoping for a long time to see him perform a miracle. Herod wanted a good show. That's what he wanted to happen. Verse 9, he asked Jesus a question, question after question, but Jesus refused to answer. So Jesus is not playing along. Jesus is not doing what Herod wants him to do. He's not cooperating. So suddenly, Jesus now is on the scoreboard for Herod the Great's son, Herod Antipas. Verse 10. So while all this is going on between Jesus and Herod, verse 10, meanwhile, the leading priest and the teachers of religious law stood there shouting accusations. So it's a little chaotic. Now, verse 11 is going to give us a hint of how Herod Antipas decides to get even with Jesus. So here's what happens in verse 11. Then Herod and his soldiers began mocking and ridiculing Jesus. That's how they get even. Finally, they put a royal robe on him, that's on Jesus, and they sent him back now to Pilate. Now, we don't have enough time to go into all of the examples of how this family tree did not forgive, kept the scoreboard, settled the score, did all of these things. We don't have time. It would take a whole series to yeah. really go into everything that was around this Herod family. But apparently, we should add one quick piece of information, maybe to round it out a little bit, round this story out a little bit. Apparently, as Luke tells us, Herod Antipas had been trying to meet Jesus for some time. And if you go back into Luke chapter 13 in verses 31 and 32, you kind of get the story rounded out. Because you look at that and you say, why did Herod not respond well to Jesus? Why does he kind of send him on his way? I mean, it was pretty obvious what was about to happen at this point. The direction that this story is, is, is going what did Jesus do to Herod Antipas other than just kind of ignoring him? Yeah. Luke tells us in chapter 13, verses 30, 31 and 32, that it's very possible that Herod Antipas actually had wanted to kill Jesus earlier because, if you'll remember, Herod Antipas and Jesus, they actually didn't just, uh, weren't just connected because they lived in the same area. But it was Herod Antipas, the son of Herod the Great, that executed the cousin of Jesus, John the Baptist. It was Herod Antipas that, that made all of that happen. And Jesus had spoken out a few times against that. So it's, again, maybe reading between the lines slightly, it's very possible that Herod Antipas, like his father, was consistently keeping the score. Yeah. So we have this pattern that we've easily established. Herod the Great and all the Herods that were his children 
they kept score, and it's striking. It's not difficult to see. It's obvious. The big guy, um, Herod the Great, the big H, he had it mastered. He was really good at it through his whole life. He used that method to raise his children, and he passed that on to his sons and his family, and they used it as well. Now, here comes the contrast, because we're now going to look at somebody who gives us an example, not like Herod, but of getting it right, and that's Jesus. We're going to look at just one opportunity. I mean, it's through his whole life, but we're just going to look at one opportunity. Jesus, when he was at his most hurt, his most abused, the moment when he could have had a scoreboard and it would have been filled. Let's look at what he did. So let's give you some things that you already know, just to remind you. Hours before Jesus would face his trial, Jesus was betrayed by one of his 12 disciples someone who was with him as much as anyone was with Jesus. He was betrayed by Judas. Jesus knew it was coming. He was not shocked, was not surprised. He knew that Judas was going to be on the scoreboard. He knew it. Judas was already on the scoreboard. He had been stealing from Jesus, basically his whole disciple career. He knew it. So there's that. Right behind that, Jesus is then arrested because of what Judas did. He is put on this mockery of a trial. And during that trial, Jesus is humiliated. Not because he has humiliated himself, but the people putting him on trial are doing their best to humiliate him. He moves from the trial into the Roman court system of being in front of the governors. And from there, he is sent to be tortured. And it's not just, not just a spanking, not just a little lashing. It was a horrific, near life-ending torture. That's at the hands of uh, being led there by the religious leaders. These people, <laughs> when you think of, I, I don't have time to go there. The religious leaders and Jesus, God created Judaism and these were their leaders. And Jesus was treated that way by them. They sent him to the Romans, then the Romans torture him and they did a little torturing of their own and then he sent they send him to the romans then the romans torture him to the point of death but he doesn't die so the romans are racking up score now they're on the scoreboard then he faces after the torture more humiliation jesus is going to have a death of a criminal and Jesus is God. Jesus 
is sinless. They nail him to the cross. All of the pictures we have are just, uh, just because of culture. Roman crucifixion, they humiliated that person by stripping them further, humiliated, by stripping them naked. And there is God, creator of the world, putting on the flesh and blood of man and now being stripped, naked, humiliated, nailed to the cross. And now Jesus is at the point of death, being executed as a sinless man. And in verse 34 of Luke chapter 23, Here's how Jesus settles the score. Here's how Jesus gets even. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. Erase the score. They don't know what they are doing. I mean, what a difference. We don't want to focus too much on the events that are transpiring. We want to focus on the reaction to those events. Herod and his family, his family tree, they spent their lives keeping score and seeking retribution and trying to settle the score and pay back. Herod the Great seeks out baby boys two years and under in and around Bethlehem because of a perceived threat. Herod Antipas plays a role in the death of Jesus. Herod the Great's grandson named Herod Agrippa I actually is the, uh, the king on the throne in that area uh, that killed the disciple James, imprisoned Peter, persecuted the church. His son, Herod Agrippa II, played a somewhat uh, a similar role, or played a role, I should say, in the execution of the apostle Paul. The Herods never missed a chance to pay you back. They never missed the chance to settle the score. That scoreboard was lit, and it was bright, and it was blinking at all times. They never missed the opportunity. And we contrast that. Jesus simply said, forgive them. The Herod's got it backwards, and Jesus got it right. But Harley, for me, I get that backwards very often too. We do. I feel like this is one of the key areas as followers of Jesus that we get backwards more often than a lot of other ones. We get it backwards too. I know me personally. I can't speak for everyone in the room, everyone watching. I can only speak for myself. But I know I often carry a scorebook around with me. It never gets erased. It always gets added to. And it's just that cycle that just keeps going. And that kind of leads us to our bottom line this morning. So our bottom line statement is this. If we never erase the scoreboard, the game never ends. If we never erase the scoreboard, the game never ends. It just keeps on going. It never ends. Let me ask, the, uh, let me ask a question maybe to put it in a better perspective. What if God forgave me the way I forgive others? That's the out. That's the ouch. What if God forgave me the way I forgive others? What if God said to me, oh, hey, Cole, listen, hey, listen. I... Fool me once. Shame on you. Cole, fool me twice. You guys know the rest. You know how that goes. Does that put that in a little perspective? What, what if God forgave 
all of us in this room the way we forgive other people. See, as a follower of Jesus, I'm pretty confident I've got this forgiveness thing out of whack. And I've been getting it out of whack for a long time. See, I'm forgiven. I don't deserve it. But for whatever reason, God worked this thing out. I am forgiven. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you've made that decision to follow Jesus, you're forgiven as well. You are forgiven. And I'm forgiven of a lot of stuff, some things that I don't want Harley to know about. I don't want you guys to know about. It's personal, it's private, and it hurts. But I'm forgiven from those things. And as a follower of Jesus, you are as well. I've been given the absolute greatest gift imaginable. That's hope. I have hope that I can be eternally connected to God. But I give to others more in line with what would be expected by Herod's family. That's really what I return. Even though I've been given this unimaginable thing, hope of being eternally connected with God because I'm forgiven, I return that to others more in line with the way that Herod the Great and his family would do it, not the example that Jesus showed us on the cross. See, this stuff must be really important. It's, it's got to be really important because when Jesus actually taught us how to pray, how to talk to God, he included this forgiveness thing in the prayer. Jesus could have covered anything meaningful he wanted to. He, he could have gone into, he could have expounded on any topic. He could have talked about anything that he chose to when he taught us how to pray, talking to God. And yet, this is what he said. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 through 12. He said, Jesus speaking, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And then verse 12. He says, And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Jesus said, forgive us as we've forgiven. Ooh, that's a little tough. God, forgive me as I have forgiven others. I'm going to ask a rhetorical question. You don't have to respond. If you want to, you can. Has 2020 been a rough year? <laughs> I mean, that's the rhetorical question of the ages. Yes. That's the answer, by the way. If you didn't know, that's the answer. Yes. 2020's been rough. How many people Christmas morning were sitting there going, it just doesn't feel like Christmas, you know? Just, this whole year has just been weird, just been convoluted. It just felt strange. I'm going to ask another question. I think this one also is rhetorical. Are you looking forward to a fresh start in 2021? Right? I mean, that's when, that's when it all, we flip the calendar, January 2021, New Year's resolutions, going to make a fresh start, going to make a change. Things are going to be better, apparently, because the clock ticked over to 12.01. Everybody's looking for a fresh start in 21 because 20 stunk. I'm going to take us one more time back to that bottom line statement. You're look, we're looking for a fresh start. I'm looking for a fresh start. But if we never erase the scoreboard, the game never ends. And I don't know that a fresh start can really happen. So that brings us to our next steps. We've got three next steps this week. Really, next year. I mean, this is, believe it or not, this is the last time we're going to be worshiping communally together is right now. 
Because the next time we see one another, either in this room or connected online, it will be 2021. So this is really our next step as we head into the next year. The first step would be this. I would encourage you pretty quickly, and Harley and I are going to do this as well, maybe as quick as this afternoon. Take some time and consider some areas in your life where maybe you're still keeping score. Maybe the scoreboard is lit up pretty bright. Maybe it's in your family. Maybe somebody in your family has done you wrong. And I'm not even arguing whether or not they truly have done you wrong or not. I, that's not the point. Maybe someone in your family has done you wrong or somebody in your family has hurt you in some way or maybe you've hurt someone else. Maybe it's in your family. Maybe it's at work. Maybe you didn't get the promotion. Maybe you don't really like the environment. But somewhere in your life where you're keeping score, maybe it's at church. Maybe you're watching us right now online and you're just kind of investigating and you're like, man, church, church hurt me pretty bad. Maybe consider church, past relationships. I don't know, but just consider areas in your life where maybe the scoreboard is still lit, it's still blinking, and it's still bright. And then do this. After you've done that, get your Bible. Read a couple of places in the Bible. The first one I would encourage you is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 through 21. This is an area where Paul goes into detail about new beginnings as a follower of Jesus. And just read kind of Paul's perspective on this new beginnings and this new start and this fresh start as we're moving into a new year. But then also, read Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. Read exactly how Jesus told us how to pray. And then after you've done that, maybe consider asking God this week, for help in erasing the scoreboard and forgiving in those areas that me, me at the top of the list, me at the top of the list, we are still keeping notes. And the book is just getting thicker. Because as we head into 2021, we've got to remember our bottom line statement. If we never erase the scoreboard, the game never ends. Let's pray. God, you told us, you told us how to pray. You, you, you told us very clearly how to pray. You told us to forgive as we have forgiven or as we have been forgiven. And God, as a follower of, of Jesus, I'm told to forgive not because it always feels good, um, not even because everyone always deserves it, but because I myself have been forgiven. And as we close out 2020, God, and we, we move into a new year. We ask for strength to be able to erase the scoreboard as we launch into this fresh beginning that we're all looking for so, so bad. And God, as we close this time together this morning, which is our final time worshiping together in 2020, this is the last opportunity that we'll have to be together and worship you as a group. God, we, we close it out this morning just as you showed us how to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And it's in your son's name. Amen.